This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And this is indeed the Deep Dive, and I am Brooke Spector, and my guest today uh, is Prince Moschele. Uh Prince Moschele is, uh, I'm sure for many of you listening, uh, you've heard him on radio and TV and other places. You may have seen him in conferences and on panels. Uh, he's a political commentator, an analyst, and an author of a number of books, including the uh, his co-authorship of The Fall of the ANC. What next? I guess that didn't mean the winter of the ANC. Bad joke, but there we are. And a number of other books. And then something that is just on the bookshelves now, called The Outsider, and it's a book on uh, Mr. Herman Mashaba, whose name is probably familiar to everybody on listening in. Prince has a background. He's worked for a variety of different uh, institutions and organizations, written for all kinds of newspapers and publications in this country, but he prefers to be called a simple political analyst and commentator. It gives him the freedom to operate, I guess. Uh, he has a Master's in Political Studies from Rhodes University and an Honors and a BA degree from the University of Venda. These are in Political Studies. It's a pleasure and a delight to have you with us today. Thanks, Brooks, for inviting me. I want to talk about a couple of topics. We have plenty of time to do this to get to get inside the the, conver- the top the topics rather than just that quick fire quick what do you think about everything goodbye and thank you let's talk a little bit first about your book about Herman Mashaba I've always found it to be a very interesting uh, individual on the political landscape not the least of which is because he didn't start out as a politician he started out as a as an entrepreneur, he started out as his own man. He operated, he sold cutlery and dishes out of the boot of his car and then branched into or moved on to uh, cosmetics, toiletries, shampoos, made some good money and then got out of that and looked around for future and other entertainments and possibilities. Why did you come to Herman Mashaba as the, the central focus of your newest work? And I get this question wherever I go. Why Herman Mashaba? There are so many politicians uh, to write books about. I wrote a book about Herman Mashaba precisely because of what you said, uh, Brooks. Uh, this is a man who was in business, well-known, successful businessman. He then wakes up one day. He decides to storm the political theater. If you look at that phenomenon, There is no one else in South African politics who did what he did around the time that he did it. And when he did it, by the way, and this will um, show you how I I decided to write this book, this phenomenon of outsiders deciding to take over the political theater was actually unfolding in Western Europe, and it culminated in the U.S. with the election of Donald Trump. So I watched developments in Western Europe. I saw it in Italy, a blogger. I saw it in um, in Ukraine. First was a businessman. Secondly, it was a comedian. I saw the rise of outsiders, even in France. Macron was a banker. And I said to myself, could it be that the future of South African politics is going to move in that direction where you have... People who had not been in political parties, who were not groomed in political parties, complete outsiders, deciding one day 
that they are going to take over the political theater and capture it. That, that was my question. And at the time, I looked around in South African politics, and the only outsider I saw was Herman Marshall. At the time, he was in the DA, by the way. So this idea, I began toying with it around 2016, 2017. And when I entertained it seriously around 2017, the man was the mayor of Johannesburg. I had dismissed him, by the way, when he joined politics. I said, ah, look, this is a political novice. He's going to be kicked out of politics quickly. But I saw a shift in public perception when he was mayor that people were beginning to take him seriously. So in my head, I was thinking that he was going to go far in his party, the DA. And I, I said to myself, maybe he, he is that outsider that I'm seeing in Western Europe and, and, and in America. Maybe I should try and know this guy better if possibly he's going to be the outsider capturing our politics. I read his autobiography, Black Light. Like you, and I read um, the Capitalist Crusader. I was not satisfied when, after reading these two books, I said, "You know what? I actually don't understand the mind of this guy." That's when I decided, "Let me write a book in order for me to know this guy better." And if I learn something, I'll share it with the public. That's where the idea came from. Then I approached him and I explained to him what I was doing with. And uh, I said to him, look, I don't want to write an authorized biograph. I want an unauthorized biograph. But what I want from you is access because I want to study you. And then he granted me that access. That's where the book comes from. Interesting that you you compare this uh, phenomenon. I think Herman is something of, of a phenomenon. It's true. In South African politics, it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong in this, that Participation follows, an, or at least up until very recently, follows an ideological perspective or picture. You, you you start early, if you're lucky enough to be in university, you start in the young Democrats or the young, uh, in earlier days, the young National Party people or the ANC Youth Corps or whatever it might have been, and you get imbued with the ideology of a particular party. Macron... Trump, a lot of other people actually in the United States, they join a party not because of a prevailing pervasive ideology. They join a party because they want to change the party. They want to reshape it in their view of their ideas of what they think is right. And the party simply becomes a useful tool for making that happen rather than becoming a loyal servant of the party, as as the phrase used to go. But in recent years, at least in this country, it seems that joining a political party is seen as if you're lucky, it's access to the treasury, access to the safe, access to the cash. Yeah, you are right. And, and Hemen Maishawa for me, I mean, this for me was purely an intellectual project. I was fascinated by, by this intellectual project. It's because he actually goes against what we know about politicians. You are right in your observations that in South Africa, people join politics because they want to make money. In the main, that's what drives most of our politicians. They may tell you this or the other. They are lying. The bottom line we know that they want to make money. And if you study uh, most of our politicians, by the way, you will find that a good 90% plus of them actually have no other careers other than politics. So in other words, if you were to ask, what would Fikile Mbalula do in a normal economy if the man was not a politician? 
most probably he will be unemployed. But that's not the case with Amen Mashal. This is really People can't see me laughing, but there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Herman Mashawa would not be unemployed if he did not join politics. This is a man who has made a lot of money. I mean, the man is a multi-millionaire. He refuses to be called a billionaire, by the way, even though uh, magazines like Time Magazine, for example, um, say that he is a billionaire. So he's super rich. He is not in need of money. So he does not see politics as a source of income. Now, the, the question is, why does he go to politics? And, and this is the question that I asked him as part of the project. In his view, he went to politics because he was concerned with the state of the nation. He thought that the ANC uh, was busy destroying South Africa. So he saw himself as a messiah who's going to save South Africa. So that was the point. Now, he then decides to join the DA, not necessarily because the DA is a liberal party. He calls himself a liberal. And in my book, by the way, the last chapter, I say that this man cannot be thrown into one ideological box. He has a very strong black consciousness streak, for example. So it's an intersection of ideologies. He actually transcends um, ideology as we understand it in South African politics. So he saw the DA as an instrument, as a vehicle that would assist him to save South Africa. So he didn't join the DA simply because he is a, a doctrinaire ideologue. No, he is not a doctrinaire ideologue. Like Trump in the US, by the way, he joined the Republican Party, not because he agreed with everything that the Republican Party uh, stood for. He simply wanted to be the president of the United States. And he saw the Republican Party as a vehicle that would take him to the White House. That's how Herman Mashaba, by the way, saw the DA. By the way, when I interviewed him around 2019, he was mayor of Johannesburg. He told me something that was very interesting at the time, that he had not read the constitution of the Democratic Alliance. He's part in 2019. This is a good four or five years after joining the party. He had not even read the constitution of the party. That tells you, you, here you are not dealing with an ideologue. You are dealing with a pragmatic man who says, how do I capture the political theater? He says, okay, there is a party, the Democratic Alliance. I'm going to use it as a vehicle. So he's not there for money. He's there in his view to save South Africa. And then for, for him, political parties are mere vehicles. He is not married to them ideologically. And it has shown up in subsequent events. This is Brooks Factor with the Deep Dive, and we'll be right back. This is the Deep Dive with Brooks Spector. This is the Deep Dive. I'm Brooks Spector, and today's guest is political commentator, analyst, and author, Prince Machele. Uh, we're talking about his new book, The Outsider, uh, which is a political biography and an analysis of Herman Mashaba of Action South Africa. But it's more than that. And I, I confess I have not finished it yet because it only just hit the bookshelves. Uh, but I have looked at it. I've read parts of it. I know something of the man. And I, I'm intrigued by the way you characterize him as noting and something I think that a lot of commentators have missed in the way they describe Mashaba, the strong black consciousness uh, flavor of his ideas 
and his behavior. I think it showed through in his business approach uh, in, in a pragmatic kind of way. Talk us through a little bit how it showed through in his political thoughts and work and ideas and how he did what he did. Let's begin where it all started. This is a, a young man uh, growing up in a very poor rural village in Hamanskral, Haramut, during apartheid. His mother uh, works as a domestic worker for white families uh, in Johannesburg. His father died when he was two years old, so he actually didn't know his father. Now, as he was growing up, he was a teenager. His peers used to go and work in Pretoria in the gardens of, of white people. He refused to work for, for white people at the time because he thought that uh, the dignity of black people were uh, was being undermined by doing that kind of work. He decided to be a gambler. So he was, he was a, a dice thrower at the time. So growing up in such an environment, he developed a very strong black consciousness streak and a yearning for him to become something and to become independent, particularly financially. That's where the root of him as a businessman comes, comes from. So when he became a successful businessman, he was always conscious of the need uh, to be independent, never to submit to white people. I mean, uh, when I talked to him, by the way, when I interviewed him, you can't finish a paragraph without him mentioning the word dignity of black, the words dignity of black people. So in whatever he does, he is driven by the need to be a dignified black person. Even in politics, by the way, the way he fell out with the DA, by the way, is precisely because when he was in the party, he says he was pained to see other black leaders being managed by white politicians in the DA, and he could not uh, bring himself to that. So he was like a rebel in the DA, which is why eventually he had to leave. The leadership of the DA couldn't manage him because he has this strong black consciousness streak combined with financial independence. That explains why you have a character like him that actually cannot be managed either by whites, but also, he also, because of his love of black dignity, he feels pained by what the ANC has done. He thinks that the ANC has destroyed the dignity of black people by what they did in government. So he wants to rescue the image of black people. But he believes also in capitalism that black people must amass money if they want to be truly independent. So in a way, that's how his political ideology, if you like, which is a mishmash, it's an intersection between liberalism, which gives him financial independence in the form of capitalism, but also a black consciousness, which projects him as a, 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 a dignified black human being. The way you describe that makes me wonder if he, if he read much about uh, Marcus Darby and people like that. There's a similarity in the way you're describing Herman Mashaba and the linkage of making money, building dignity, and being your own person that echoes some of pe- some people like that. It also, of course, makes me wonder what in the world Steve Biko and others in the black consciousness movement of the 70s would have said about Herman Mashaba. I just, I, I, you're, you're giving me things to think about. As a reader myself, when I approached the project, I approached it intellectually. And I was aware of uh, those intellectual 
uh, strengths. I mean, I, I have read um, uh, uh, about Gavi myself um, and, and his whole movement in the U.S. And I also obviously have read a lot of, about uh, Steve Biko here in, in South Africa. So I was wondering when I approached the project, if he was familiar with the, with the strength my, uh, himself, if he had read literature around this. And by the way, I went to his private study in his house. I surveyed the books because I wanted to see where this comes from. If this has an intellectual uh, encourage. And I found, by the way, that there's no Steve Biko book um, on, on the shelf. That there is nothing about Pan-Africanism, by the way. And there's nothing about that whole debate about uh, black Americans going back to Ethiopia led by, by, by Gavi. But what I found in the form of uh, an intellectual encourage are books by and about Thomas Sowell. I mean, he is an avid reader of Thomas Sowell, by the way. And as you know, Thomas Sowell is a contrarian um, uh, economist, a, a liberal in, in the South African context, but not in the U.S. Conce- uh, context, because in the U.S. context, the, the word liberal is a different thing. He loves Thomas Sowell because what does Thomas Sowell, Sowell um, uh, preach? He preaches the idea of hard work. That's what, on the part of black people, he preaches the idea that, look, don't be obsessed with, with uh, oppression because other groups, by the way, in the U.S., and he looks at the Chinese, he looks at Lebanese, he looks at he looks at Koreans who have migrated to the U.S. and the Jews and so on. These people were never assisted by the state. But look at them. Look at what they've done in the U.S. They've done well for themselves. So black people, get rid of this idea of oppression and work hard and make money for yourself. Then you will succeed and use education. So that's where Herman Mashava come from intellectually. He's influenced by a, a guy like uh, um, ideas of uh, Thomas Sowell. So he's not well read in terms of the old classics. That's where he, he comes from. That is interesting. Let me skew the conversation a little bit. Well, skew is the wrong word. Let me open up the conversation a little bit further. There have been various commentators, people doing the same kind of thing that you do, actually, who are starting to bemoan the fact that political structure in this country is beginning to splinter. Everybody wants to have their own political party. Each person is announcing, each various people of substance and, and you know, solid people are announcing that they're going to have their own political party. Is this tendency, because Mashaba, of course, joined a party and then left it and then set up his own party, and uh, there is Rise and Mzanzi and uh, I forget some of the other ones that are that are coming along. And then there are the parties that broke off the ANC historically as far back as the Pan-Africanist Congress on up to the economic freedom fighters. Is this splintering tendency good for democracy here or is it a problem? I think it's a problem. And look, <clears throat> and, and, and by the way, Mashawa is um, thrown into that context in, in, in public discourse as one of those uh, who has started his own organization, he is looked at as part of this phenomenon you are talking about. Uh, your rising Zanzi, your build one South Africa for all those types. But let's trace him back. He resigned in 2019. He formed his party, uh, announced his party in 2020. At that time, there was no other new party in South Africa. He was he was the only one who had announced a new political party. Before he did that, by the way, 
he was very concerned that people might actually perceive new political parties if they mushroom um, in the fashion in which they have now mushroomed. They would perceive them as personal projects of people who are driven by egos. He did not want that to happen. So what did he do at the time? He spent a lot of time trying to persuade Musi Maiman to join forces with him. He actually wanted Musi Maiman to be part of this new political party. At the time, by the way, it was not Action SA. Even the party was not born. I mean, I detail the meetings and the conversations that took place between Musi Maiman and Herman Mashal. But unfortunately, they couldn't find each other. And in my view, they couldn't find each other because each one of them wanted to be the leader of this new political party. So Musi Maimane went on to form his own political party. And then subsequently, we have seen the emergence of Rise, Mzanzi, Shiluma, and others. It's very clear to me that all of these individuals want to be presidents of their own party and of South Africa. They cannot submit to the leadership of another person. That, for me, is a big problem. Because can you imagine if Musi Maiman, Songe Zozibi, Baloi, Mashab, if all of these individuals were together and formed one organization and decided that one of them was going to be leader of that organization, I think that would be a powerful force. So in my view, this splintering, it actually undermines the very objective that they, they want to, to achieve. We're speaking with Prince Marcelle, uh, author, political commentator, analyst, and his newest book is called The Outsider, and it's a political biography and meditation, I guess, on Herman Mashaba uh, of Action South Africa. And we'll be right back after this message. This is Brooke Spector with The Deep Dive. This is The Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And this is The Deep Dive, and this is Brooke Spector, and with us today is Prince Marcelli, a political analyst, commentator, author, and most recent book is on Herman Mashaba, called The Outsider, which I think is an interesting choice of titles. We were talking before the break about this proliferation of new parties, and a, 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 an errant thought came to my mind, maybe I should watch and wait for Sia Colise to, to uh, decide that he wants to be the head of a new political party. He might win. I mean, he's, he's a pretty popular guy. But in all seriousness, let me expand the conversation even further. And uh, you know, and many of the listeners probably are aware, the election mechanisms, uh, the basic law for elections in this country has been altered for the 2024 election, altered in ways which uh, I think are still under a great deal of uh, of argument and contestation, as we say here. And the impact of it is going to be confusing for a lot of people because individuals will run with without parties and with parties and parties without individuals probably as well. And this tendency that we've been talking about, this visiparious tendency of new and smaller parties to spring up, how is this going to play? I, you, predicting the future is hard, I realize that. But how is this likely to play out in the next election, in this new version of how things are going to happen? The starting point is this. South Africans 
trust political parties when it comes to elections. South Africans generally don't vote for independent candidates. Where do I get this from? Remember that the system that is going to be introduced, that's going to be experimented with uh, starting next year at a national level, is already there in South Africa at a local government uh, level. So independents are allowed to stand for municipal elections. But we have seen across South Africa that even in local government politics, the theater is dominated by political parties. South Africans vote for political parties. Which is why, by the way, even those who have um, formed their new political parties, they are aware of this, which is why they are forming political parties. They don't want to stand as independents. They want to mobilize other South Africans to join their political party so that come the election next year, they will say to South Africans, vote for so-and-so in that constituency. That person represents my party. So South Africans support parties more than individuals. There will be confusion next year, not because of the participation of independence, but mainly because of the proliferation of smaller, new and smaller political parties. So South Africans will go to the uh, voting booth and say, hmm, there is the rising Zanzi, there is Shiluwa, there is Bosa, there is HNSA, there is A. So the list is so long. That's what is going to confuse uh, voters. Not necessarily because there will be uh, independent participating. So South Africans will be co- confused by the widening of political choice, which is as a result of the proliferation of political parties. Do you remember the 1994 election, the ballot that was, it was about half a meter long. It had, I don't remember how many parties, but it folded up you know, three or four times before you could put it in your pocket. There was the soccer party. There was the keep it simple, stupid party. There was, uh, there were parties that nobody's ever heard of again parties. And right at the last moment, there was a little sticker put on it that said, Oh, and by the way, you can vote for Inkata here if you want as well. That was a ballot for the ages. I think in my storeroom, I still have a couple copies left over. I got as, as souvenirs. This time around, the the ballot may be longer or more complicated or more confusing. There was also a party called the Kwam Quaker, which had a a hand like this, 1994. (laughs) But here's the thing. There is something very serious uh, in, 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 in what you are saying. The reason why we had such a long list of parties in 1994 was because That was a moment of realignment in South African politics. It was a major moment of realignment in South African politics. So a lot of people knew that the old was dead and the new was being born. But it was not clear as to what was going to be part of this new. So everybody saw themselves part of this new thing that was being born. And when you go through a realignment moment, a lot of people see opportunities. So we are back to where we were in 1994. It is very clear that the ANC is dying, which is the old, and that the new is being born. So everyone wants to see themselves as part of this new thing that is being born. That's why you see this proliferation of political, new political parties. So it is actually a replay of what we witnessed or what we went through in 1994. But this is what is going to happen. 
So all of the parties that were there on that list in 1994, most of them, more than half of them, even by the way, 60% of them are no more. Even after the 2024 elections, more than half of, of the parties that we see there, most probably will be no more. So there may not be rise in Zanfi after the elections. There may not be Shiluba after the election. But this tells us that we are going through a major realignment moment and people see opportunities. The elections will sort them, these people out. I'm intrigued that the, uh, your use of words, realignment, because the idea of political realignment, I, I know you know as a student of politics and history, uh, really got its impetus uh, in the United States with uh, voting analysts who came up with the idea of realigning elections, uh, where whatever old truths there were, were, were insufficiently handled by the existing political structures, not government structures, but political structures, and uh, new ideas forced a realignment of who voted for which party and for what reasons. And so, you know, we, we, we have thought about, say, 1932 in the U.S., when Franklin Roosevelt created the new version of the Democratic Party, whose grandchildren or great-grandchildren at this point still linger in American politics, but it was a, a new idea. Um, and Margaret Thatcher, like or dislike her, did something similar in Britain uh, after the uh, the complications of the uh, labor issues in the late 1970s in Britain. And both Sarkozy and uh, uh, Macron have tried to recreate a new version of politics uh, in France, rather less successfully, perhaps, than they might have hoped at this point. But what that leads me to in the next question, in my mind at least, is the future of democratic participation in South Africa generally. Are people still going to believe, or do they still believe, or do they still want to believe the idea that voting matters and that participation in the political system is primarily an expression of quadrennial every five year voting for a party and then sort of sitting back? Uh, or is there some other thing that's happened? Is there, in other words, is there a, a growing dissatisfaction with the political system as it presents itself now? And is there something else that people will decide to do? Perhaps uh, an echo of the late 1980s. I'm surprised you're leaving out Obama uh, in your uh, beautiful um, uh, narration of the realignment uh, phenomenon in the U.S. I believe guilty. guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but 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 you are right. You see, the idea of realignment, and you have you have described it perfectly. Um, in South African politics, um, in, 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 in the early nineties, represented, uh, the, the death of racial politics as, as was represented by the apartheid system and the birth of a new politics, which was inclusive, um, including both blacks and white. But there was a new strand that emerged after 1994, which was there. One, most black South Africans saw politics as an expression of liberation or as an extension of the liberation struggle. 
which is why most black South Africans supported the ANC, which they perceived as a liberation movement. And on the other side, you had a group of white people. In the main, they voted for white parties. And uh, there was a message of fight back that was embedded in white politics at the time. Now, we have now reached a point where most South Africans no longer view politics that way, which is actually um, another moment of realignment, substantively. Most black South Africans now can understand that the ANC doesn't re- uh, represent an extension of liberation politics, that this is a bunch of corrupt politicians who are enriching, enriching themselves. So black people have woken up. They are now looking for a new politics, which is not defined around the idea of liberation. And even white South Africans, by the way, are now prepared to hold hands with black people in a new, a completely new politics. And we've seen experiments like that in the DA, by the way, although the DA has moved back a little bit into the, into a racial lager. But there is a yearning for a new politics now in South Africa which is different from the politics we have had since 1994, which is why those who are announcing new parties, they can see and they can sense this yearning for a new politics. But unfortunately, because the new politics is not clear as to its nature and its character, a lot of South Africans are are disgruntled. They are not sure how to go forward politically. So the new political parties are trying to say to South Africans, we are the future of South African politics, but they need to define the character of their politics. But in the main, in my view, the future of South African politics will revolve around uh, the around economics because a lot of South Africans have lost their jobs, are unemployed. There is a war of the unemployed is ballooning. And whoever wants to define a new politics for South Africa must convince South Africans that that person has an economic model that is going to uh, create jobs, uh, for create employment for the unemployed, that is going to make sure that businesses thrive, that is going to build a capable state and rebuild the collapsed infrastructure, which was collapsed by the ANC. So yes, there is disgruntlement, but the challenge is on the part of these new politicians to show themselves that they actually hold the key to a future new politics. We're speaking with Prince Marcelli, uh, author, uh, political commentator, analyst, and his new book is called The Outsider, and it is a political biography, and I think I called it a meditation in a way, uh, on uh, Herman Mashaba. Uh, we'll be right back after this message, and we'll be wrapping up our conversation with Prince just after after this. This is The Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And yes, you're listening to The Deep Dive, and I'm Brooke Spector, and my guest this morning is Prince Moscelli, political analyst, commentator, cogitator on the future of South African politics, and his newest book, uh, on the shelves now, by the way, uh, is called The Outsider, uh, and it's a political, it's a look at a politician stroke businessman, uh, Herman Mashaba. And we've moved through a conversation of the nature of Herman Mashaba's politics, onto the nature of the future of South African politics. Let me sort of push you even further into a broad 
look. You notice we've been going from, from a very narrow focus and then further and further out. And now I'm going to take you to the big, the biggest focus of all, uh, which is, is there a future for democracy in South Africa at all? Or is this a place with, which will inevitably, it seems, sadly, only be nurtured by the big man, by somebody who can come in and promise to fix everything, even if it means breaking the rules and smashing the norms and avoiding paying attention to the rules. Is that our fate? Look, South African society is a very complicated society in the sense that we are not a homogeneous group, tribally, racially, and so on. In the main, in, 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 in many ways, by the way, we mirror the society of the U.S. groups, uh, uh, where you have different people from different parts of the world who eventually formed this uh, composite nation. Now, a society like that is very complicated to govern because groups pay allegiance to their far to the leaders of their of their groups. So it's very difficult to find um, one individual who is going to inspire all of the disparate groups that form the nation. So into the future to answer your to answer your question, number one, there will always be South Africa's politics will always be driven by a big man or big woman. Um, so if you want to be voted into power. You will have to be a, a big name recognized by all South Africans. So people in KwaZulu Natal must know you and what you stand for. People in Venda must know you, what you stand for. People in Pumalanga must know you and what you, you stand for. By the way, democracies all over the world, I dare say, uh, Brooks, are driven by this phenomenon of a big man, even though in some countries like the U.S., by the way, the institutions are strong to contain the vagaries of the big man. But the big man is there nonetheless. Donald Trump is a big man. You, you, no one can tell me that Donald Trump is a small man. No, Donald Trump is a big man, even though the Democratic Party can try to contain him and the institutions of governance in the U.S. can have tried to contain him, but he is a big man. But I don't think that the country is going to, to fracture and fall apart. Democracy, I think there is a future for democracy in South Africa because the nature of our society makes it impossible for one person to dictate to all of us. And number one. Number two, South Africa is a very noisy society. So uh, even under Jacob Zuma, by the way, who was ravaging the country, you saw the way Zuma must fall protest all over the show. There was noise in the public domain. So he didn't do what he did and threw people into jail and people were quiet. No, the South African society is very noisy. And I actually cannot imagine anyone who can change that, that, that character. So in my view, I think there is a future for democracy because of the noisiness of our society and the fact that our society is not homogeneous. If you look at dictatorships elsewhere in the world, whether in China, whether in Rwanda, you will see that in the main, you have an element of homogeneity in the constitution of such societies that make dictatorship fairly easily. But where society is as diverse as uh, the South African society, it's very difficult 
uh, for a dictatorship to thrive. So I don't see dictatorship, a dictatorship thriving in South Africa. I'm getting my mind around slowly and painfully the idea of Donald Trump as a quote unquote big man. <laughs> he, he is a big man. <laughs> you said that and, and, and my mental picture was oscillating between Idi Amin and Donald Trump and I was, I was, you were giving me a waking nightmare just to think about it. But I, I want to pose one last question in, in just a couple of, give you just a couple of minutes to think about this. When we, right at the beginning when we were talking, we agreed that too often Often politicians in this country uh, have come through a career political path rather than uh, laterally from some other uh, career or place. And let me just ask you, why is it, do you think, that so few people of quality and skill and competence and experience in business, in law, in academia, even in civil society, why so few of them actually decide to go into politics as a a mid-life career or a second career because the universe that they had inhabited, they've done what they think they can, and now it's time to apply those lessons. Why is it that it is so rare here? A very interesting question, and there are a few factors in my, in my view. Number one, it's because of gatekeepers in existing political parties. That explains a lot. So, so, so in the ANC, so if you have made it, you are a professional in business, whether in civil society, and you think, hmm, I want to go into politics. And you look at the political um, uh, system in South Africa. You will say the ANC is a dominant part. In other words, if I want to succeed and I want to go into cabinet, I have to join the ANC. But if you join the ANC, the fact that you are a professional, you have made it, doesn't mean that the ANC is going to catapult you into its national executive committee. It certainly doesn't mean that you are going to end up in cabinet. So gatekeepers are there to make sure that successful people who are outside don't make it. That's number one. Number two, also the fact that recently South African politics has become very chaotic. Where do you see a politics of, of a country? You see it in cabinet, you see it in parliament. So South African politics is no longer prestigious. It's chaotic. So people who have made it in, in civil society, academia, business, they ask themselves, do I want to be part of that chaos that I see in parliament? And if they are decent and right-thinking human beings, they say, there is no way I want to be shouted at by Malima. And, and, and be part of that mess that I see in Parliament. So, in the main, people have made it a decent professionals who, who are, who are conservative in terms of their etiquette and in terms of their behavior. They don't want to be part of, of chaos. Number three, the last point is this. Because they have made it, they can enjoy life without being troubled by the controversies of politics. So, these are the three factors in my view that make, uh, people have made it to to actually have second thoughts about going into the politics. One, it's gatekeepers in, in existing political parties. Number two, is the chaotic nature of our politics. Number three, is the fact that they want to enjoy life without being disturbed by the controversies of politics. You fill me with hope as well as fear. <laughs> we, we, we've had, a, I, I think, a wide-ranging and very interesting, at least for me, and informative conversation uh, this morning with uh, Prince Moshele. Uh, 
political commentator, analyst, thinker, uh, and now most recently the author of a political biography of Herman Mashaba, uh, a man who made it on the outside and then decided to make it on the inside and is now trying to figure out, I guess, what being on the inside means in politics. Um, and I want to thank you for, for joining us. I appreciate your time and your, your, your thoughtfulness and your participation. We will be back again next week, uh, with another interesting and informative and newsworthy, I hope, conversation. Uh, this is the deep dive. We, we broadcast to you every Friday morning at nine o'clock and I'm Brooke Spector. And once again, uh, listen in next week for the deep dive. Prince, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Bruce, for inviting me.